Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. This week, I've got two well-known brothers from two famous Irish herds of Aberdeen Angus cattle there, the Liss and the Liss Duff herd, uh, John McEnroe from Oldcastle in County Mead and Leo McEnroe from Virginia in Cavan. A warm welcome to Top Lines and Tales podcast. John, the list herd spans a very long time in the Abilinanga, some sort of 50 to 60 years, I think. Uh, been going a long time, one of the oldest herds around. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my dad started the list herd when he was a really young man, and uh, he built it up over the years. And it was it was there when both myself and Leo were growing up. Uh, he had some great successes over the years, and a uh, very passionate man about his cattle. He liked his types and he stuck with them. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll just go back to those beginnings. I believe he took the farm over, I think you told me, when he was 11 or 12 years old or something, when his father died. Is that right? That's astonishing. Yeah, well, maybe it could have been 13, but it was in about then. There was, there was seven younger children in the house all together, eight in the family all together, but um, someone had to do the work, and he'd done the work when he was 13, yeah. Wow. Incredible. And uh, and I think you said his first cow came maybe from his cousin or his uncle there with a very commercial money. Yeah, that was from uh, the Lakeview herd. Okay. It was one of the Dianas. Came from Lakeview. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uncle, uh, John of Lakeview, had them. And, and you, you said he rode behind it when he brought it home, rode behind it on his bike. That's right. That were the good old days when you could leave animals on the road. But <laughs> people were good at handling animals at the time, and he was able to herd the animal home the whole way on his bike. Well, it's about three and a half miles, but... The animal didn't cross the ditch or get away on him anywhere. He managed to get them home. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent story, I'm sure. And, and uh, I believe 1960, I've got different dates here, 1962 or 64, I'm not sure. But it was no coincidence that one of the highest accolades a breeder could really have was bestowed on them when uh, one of the animals was presented to the Pope. Is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah. The Pope's farm in Castigaldolfo uh, were looking for an Aberdeen language bull and it was sold through the... Department of Agriculture, the bottom bull off, Ducalist off, dad, and uh, he ended up there. He ended up in the RDS and sold in, in, in Dublin, that's right, and went off to one of the Pope who had already got a few cattle, I think, already built on a few American lines, maybe, but uh, uh, it was good to bit a bit of Irish blood in there. Obviously, did him a bit of good. Yeah. And as you said, your father kept some size in the herd, didn't the other cattle were getting small? In fact, quite a lot of few, a lot of herds in Ireland kept uh, kept a bit of growth about them, didn't they? They didn't go down that, that tiny, short, short-legged short route. My father was a cattle man at heart. You know, he just wasn't a pedigree breeder per se with a good job. He was a cattle man and he knew the cattle had to be fed to make money. He liked to keep his cattle even keel all the time. He never went for the extremes. He never went for too bigger ones and he never went for too smaller ones. And uh, I'd like to say that he instilled that into me and Leo. And uh, I suppose we're, we're, we're still on that wavelength. Keep them in the middle of the road. And I know when I came to see you, I think it was 2013, and you had just judged the Highland show, John, and you were quite outspoken about how the fact some of these bulls were getting too big. And uh, I remember you saying that a lot of the show ring depended on using a measuring stick, and you thought that wasn't really the right way forward. Yeah, well, Angus cattle that are generally the right size are carefully calving a two-year-old, and uh, the bulls are able to start serving a 12-month-old. So they have a real economic business, and that's really going back to what my father always believed, that cattle had to be economical and they had to pay their bills. And, and keep the calving weights down as well. And keep the calving weights down. Well, if you use extreme cattle, you're intending to get extreme back rates. Yeah. 
yeah, true. And uh, I remember again, you said, or both of you for that matter, he took a, you know, a huge importance on uh, structure and, and you know, making, making animals just uh, be right. He wanted the legs and everything right on that when a lot of people were going away from that. Well, you see, uh, I pointed out to you, he was a cattleman at heart, and as I said, he, he instilled that into me and Leo, and uh, it, it's something we'd, we'd be very keen on is structure and skeletal, and uh, we've, we've, we've still tried to uphold that and keep it right. Look at you, we saw the very, very best, the bulls making an awful lot of money, and some of them were very incorrect on legs, and then it resulted in the next cross, just breeding cattle or worse again, yeah. and they just really didn't achieve much. Yes, true, true, true. And let's go back to your father. By the 1960s, he would take his annual holiday, I think it was you that told me, Leo, in, in Scotland at, at the first bull sales. That was him going once or twice every year, and inevitably some of that Scottish blood eventually came home with him. That's right, that's right. And the, uh, yeah, and in fact, uh, we have a thing called confirmation here in our religion, and uh, as a 12 year old, uh, I nagged him enough to, that he brought me to the Highland Show for a holiday. So, yeah. Okay. So okay. He, he, went, he, went, he went to the bar drinking and uh, with Sandy Dawson and Jimmy Minto and uh, Dave Smith. Oh. Davey Smith. Smith. That's right. That's uh-huh. right. So I, I, I spent my time around the, the gardens with... Uh, William McLaren and Michael Minto and them boys, yeah. Okay, okay. So you've talked some big, big names in amongst that, some rogues in there as well, uh, Leo. But he, he went on and I think he purchased a bull from Tom Brewis, but he certainly stuck up a, a, a friendship with the great Tom Brewis, should I say, who were, and that developed, I think, into a, into a business where your father would, would supply them with Irish blue-grey cows to Tom, who, who would have customers for them in Scotland. Yeah, that's what he done. Uh, he was job was to source the animals in the west of Ireland. Uh, there wasn't too many places he didn't know or didn't go. And uh, yeah, the favourite was the blue grey, of course. But then they were looking for roney heifers as well. We used to call them the roney ones. And uh, yeah, he'd, he'd mark his heifers with a scissor mark, two, two stripes down along the hip. Uh, even though they had a, their, their, their tag in the rear, but he always marked them with his own mark. It wouldn't just be a few either. He'd send a lot of cattle over there during those years, wouldn't he? He did. He sent it, uh, several truckloads. That's right. That's right. Well, t- Tom was, was selling them there in, in, in the, the auction marts in Scotland. And, yeah, they, they turned into a business for themselves, the boys. Mm-hmm. Turn a shilling on it. And, uh, yeah. and I said he bought a bull, uh, Julius Eric, would I be right, of Eastfield. And Tom would be getting his cattle That's a little right. bit bigger by that time. Tom saw the writing on the wall and started to get a bit of size back into his, didn't he? So he would be a reasonable-sized bull, I guess. Julius Eric of Eastfield, that's right. He wasn't the biggest bull, bull, bull in the world. Um, I wouldn't think he was... What would you say, John? I wouldn't call him that big a bull now. No, Julius Eric was that three-quarter-sized bull. Uh, Tom really hadn't gone too, too, too crazy on big cattle at the time. And uh, it was only a la- years after that that Tom, Tom went for bigger ones. Uh-huh. Okay, I know certainly Tom Tom uh, got his hands into to Patrick Abrifi originally, of course, came back from Ireland and they were all turning to Ireland for, for bigger genetics, sort of certainly in the in the early 70s. We'll go on to that maybe in a, in a second, but your father's other love would be fat stock showing and uh, hey, we all love that game and uh, I think it goes hand in hand with Angus Breeders, to be honest, but uh, he started experimenting with maybe crossing cattle with the Continental Bulls to get some good fat calves. Yeah, uh, the more that... The more that- uh, Leo, he, I went with him to a Smithfield show when I was quite young, and ICBS, Irish uh, cattle exporting people here, uh, subsidised us to bring over fat stock cattle to Smithfield show, and he went a few times, and the highest award he got over there was a junior champion with an Angus Charlie Cross heifer. Then, I, then uh, we showed some cattle in Edinburgh at the fat stock in Edinburgh as well, and look at, we found that it was it was a, it was a game that. Uh, 
and it was very going to be competing. It wasn't a great financial game to be had. You're talking to a lot of people listening to this podcast would all say the same when it comes to showing commercial cattle. It's not a, not a great commercial venture. Um, but yes, as you said, he, he did do that. And I remember you guys used to come over to Smithfield regularly as well. You both loved your, your fat stock showing as well. Yeah, we used to go to Smithfield. That's correct. And uh, the Charlie Bull, we used to be, was a bull from Donnelly, uh, which is a Sligo AI station. And uh, IC24 was one of the bulls we preferred down there. My father uh, used one of the on the on what what he done was he picked out his, his this really smaller traditional type cows, and yeah, they were fantastic to be able to calve the cow didn't calves originally because they were you know a, a showery to an Angus and they were big calves at the time, but uh, yeah they were fantastic growth. Um, it was great fun. You met great people, and yeah, it was uh, something. It was great for us for the rest of our lives to, to meet people and uh, Archie McGregor and the likes. It was uh, for me anyway. It was great contacts. Uh, uh, Many the deal we've had with Archie after I've had anyway. In regard, if I, start, I found a bull that Archie liked, and I say Archie, I think there's a bull there might suit you, and he'd come and have a look, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Friendships are made there, weren't they? And great times that they were as well. And just going down that route with the crossbred cattle, I think it was John telling me when I saw you before that. Uh, he said they started going a little bit more extreme. The cattle in Southern Ireland always had much bigger back ends. They went for the real muscly type, and then he started to breed from those muscled cows into cross females, and then found he ran into calving difficulties with them. Yeah, well, that takes yeah. the fun out of the, the whole thing when when you, when you're not able to calve them down and haven't you have a, a fair good shape, blue grey kind of a heifer, but then she's actually related to a Belgian blue, and you come back with muscle again. Muscle and muscle is have a difficulty, and unless you're set up for that, it, it, it can be very troublesome and expensive. We know one or two people across there that uh, in the north anyway that's you sales and whatever you're going on selling these cars to breed these good fat stockers and as you said you but you have to breed I suppose they'll have got into figures breeding later on and making sure that they have got things that do calve but it's a specialist job isn't it breeding those fat stock calves yeah, absolutely it's kind of very been a very specialized art mm-hmm. from from getting the right cow for the right bull uh, and then actually coming around and following on from that to, to trying to get it alive uh, and and all the rest yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, and, and and going back to your father, remember you saying he wouldn't pay he wouldn't pay a lot of money for his bulls. He'd see the more expensive bulls, but he'd buy maybe the cheaper ones uh, uh, there, Leo, that, that, that built the herd up and did the right job, but without uh, throwing a lot of cash at it. Uh, yes, but when he, when he seen something that he really liked, he wasn't going to shy away either. Uh, and uh, one example of that was there was a bull called Carton or David, which was really the foundation of, of of the list of cows at the time when he had them. Uh, back in the, in the very early 80s, I think it was. So we, we, myself and John, we had spotted his bull in the morning at the, at the sale and we were kind of, we were kind of on, after having the giants, we were mad, we were really high about this bull. And Dad, we said, Dad, what this bull, this bull, this bull? And he was kind of saying nothing at all. And of course, until the bull went to the ring. But when the bull went near the ring, he bought the bull and he was going to buy the bull. He was going to buy it, yeah. And he came across, so, came across some Sligo, I think, didn't he, Leo? That's right, he did. From from the most famous uh, Josie McDonough heard, yeah, Carton Row. And uh, to go back to your point, though, like he 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 kept his uh, cars close to his chest. He he kind of followed the lines he wanted and the size he wanted. He didn't go any extremes. So if if for example his bull that he was going was doing a good job and a solid job, but maybe not beating a bit of length or growth, well, he tried to improve that with the next bull, and he didn't care. Uh, who bred him or whatever else as long as the bull was natural and wasn't overly fed and he could see potential and, and, and growth and whatever he's going to do for him he was happy with that okay. 
which is fair enough and the right way to do it too and uh, uh, John I think you eventually took over the running of the of the Liss herd and the farm in 2000 I'd say when your father retired and uh, and then Leo that'd be when you got started with your own uh, with your own cattle yeah about that time uh, well strange enough I, I was gone long before that okay. <laughs> I left I left the nest early um, I did I used to actually go and do a wee bit of work with uh, Charlie breeders to uh, show their boat and look after their stock and I started with the, the late Bart Monaghan the Mead Herd in Navan and Oh, words of wisdom, a, a great a great teacher, um, a grumpy old man to a lot of people, but for me, he was a pure gentleman, and he taught me so much, it was unbelievable. Uh, he, he had bought cows in France uh, when he hadn't a penny, and and then times then we were getting three, five, six, seven thousand for bulls, uh, which was fabulous money, so it was great for someone like him to do it. He was a great teacher to me. I started working then with uh, a guy called Noel Keating, Keepak. Uh, and I was doing production management there, but Noel got into trouble with his, his, his farm manager who was looking after him. Charlie heard at the time, um, his dad dropped dead, the, the, the guy who was looking after that, so he had to rush home. And one morning I was on the production line in Keepak and, uh, Noel called me and he said, Leo, we're in a further bother here. He says, uh, we, we have to go to the Charlies, uh, we're, we're, we have no one to look after the cattle. So I went out there then and, uh, we looked after the Charlies for a year and a half or two. And, uh, meanwhile I had met a girl, Land and yeah, I suppose I fell in love with her then. And we, uh, her mom had a bit of land too, uh, by the way. And uh, <laughs> we, 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 we took it from there. And uh, John at home, at the home farm, were kind of tricking. We had a great commercial cow we bought one time. Her name was Tracy. We, she, dad bought her in the west of Ireland, and she was really breeding good show fat stockers. So the lads was mad, uh, capers looking for some heifers to put embryos into. And my wife mother had was rearing cows at the time by, by on, on a cow she used to rear three or four cows per cow and she'd take them off and rear three or four more and that's she used to end up at 25 cattle to uh, uh, to fatten then you know okay so anyway make a long story short uh, we had a deal with john and uh, dad at home at the time for a, a duchess heifer that, that, that my father had got originally from from his uncle okay. and the diana line from lakeview and uh we swapped i think three heifers uh, I must have about 75 or 80, 80 pedigrees more in the, in the herd now going back to this cow. We'll go back to that original cow now. I remember you telling me that. And John, you carried on running the herd there and taking carrying it on your father's lines. And you used to carry on showing the cattle. I remember you telling me you used to take un, unhalted cattle to Old Castle Show when, uh, um, and, and you'd drive them there. Yeah, I remember we headed off with, I think it was 16 in the road. It was only two miles into Oldcastle Show, but uh, when we'd start off down the road, the road would be pure green with, with, with the cattle slurry down the road the whole way into Oldcastle. When we get to Oldcastle, uh, the old railway that was not in use, we used a the facility there alongside the, the, the green and we caught them all up and uh, we... we, we uh, showed the cattle for the day then that we washed it with buckets of water and maybe not shown as well as maybe dragged round because a lot of them would be <laughs> extremely quiet and uh, maybe some of us got dragged around a little bit as well but no, but it was all good and you know old castle show has different cattle going to it now but it's still in existence and sure maybe that's part of the reason that people at that time put in a great effort there were some great men and involved with old castle show at the time like John Smith as well. It was another great stalwart there, and you know there was a, there was people put in a big effort back in the day to keep showing agriculture to the fore. I 
just think I just think that's a brilliant sort of story, really. I can just see taking taking twenty cattle of the show and driving them down the road and penning them up when you get there. Just uh, superb. And John, you 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 run the list here now, I think, with your son Sean, and you're still keen and still still just as keen as ever you were, really, still getting out to the shows. Yeah, well, it, it, it's great encouragement for me when you have a lad coming behind that, that every time I ask him what calf. Like cows out, we can give it the cow side number, and I mean, there's most of the cows running around there. And he knows the calves, and he, he knows the cow side numbers. And he, he, well, he works full time, and he can help me when he's able to help me in the evening and on weekends. Uh, he still has enough of interest to know all the cows and calves. And unfortunately, my brain is getting to be an older man's brain now, and I wouldn't be as sharp now as he is on the numbers. At one time, I knew the numbers, but not anymore. But it, it's great encouragement to have someone else. Allow it, allow it all the other people who actually give a hand out. We'd, we'd have a good lot of good friends help out, give a hand doing the show on every year. And uh-huh. Well, it's like Jerry Lynch and Kells that has been with us for the last maybe 40 years. Uh, would turn up on all the shows and give us a hand getting ready cattle before going to shows. And, you know, it's a kind of, it's not like a family business, but it's a friend business where we all get on and we just dig in and we help out. And, uh, you know, there's not a really good reason. Yeah, sure, Jerry Lynch would be a good man to have helping you on your team as well, wouldn't you? And, and Leo, both of you, I suppose, would start using Canadian blood you know, from uh, quite early days, really. I remember you mentioning one of you mentioning you bought a big bull from uh, Michael O'Leary at uh, Gigginstown that was, was was Canadian breeding. Rolls-Royce? Yeah. He, he actually gave the list, Gigginstown Rolls-Royce, and uh, done a very, very good job for us. And uh, we have some even in the flask of and we have two right good bulls often still this year and uh, look at a very good bulls in any age whether they're bred 20 years ago or not like some of the old some of the older bulls maybe too small for today's market but Gigas and Rolls Royce is one of them bulls who still fit in in today's market and and it's hard to command a good price. Is that right? And, and Michael O'Leary, of course, to our, our listeners who are not aware who Michael O'Leary, well, not that many people aren't, I don't think, because he's the man behind Ryanair, and he'd have a, a lot of money and, and a good herd there as well. And what sort of man was he like to work with? Michael would uh, have, have an interest in the cattle. We wouldn't, uh, oh, in the early years, wouldn't have had an awful lot of time because he was building up Ryanair. But um, young chap, Johnny Lynch's son, was working with him one day, and he was watching the bull in the yard, and Mikey came out and roll up his sleeves and on a Saturday and he lay in and he washed up bulls, you know, so no, and he wasn't afraid of work. He, he, he wasn't afraid to tell his farm manager what to do or when to do it and if it wasn't done, he wouldn't be pleased and so, I mean, all that I'd say is, is a great sign of a guy who, who has enough interest to keep his fingers in lots of pies and keep them all going well. And, you know, it's, it's a fair credit to him that he has built up his business and, and his herd and Everything there is as sharp as if, if it was being run by a, a man on his own, because oh. he, he really can keep an eye on, on everything, you know? That's right. A hell of a man can spin a lot of plates at the same time. Just go back. I was mentioning those Canadian cattle, uh, Leo, and the Canadian cattle originally came into yeah. Ireland in 1966, I think, through Connor. Carrigan. So we're going back in the history books a little bit before we were all busy at this job ourselves. But uh, there'd be a lot of opposition back then from the Aberdeen Angus Society that uh, eventually they wouldn't register the animals. So the the department, along with Connor Carrigan and a few more, they set up their own uh, the, the, their own um, society there, didn't they? And that caused a bit of a stoochie, I think. Yeah, well, there's a bit of a bureaucracy thing there because the Irish farmers wanted to source their own semen from uh, Canada and America, and of course the Aberdeen Angus. Uh, People didn't want that to happen because they were wanting to sell their own bulls and 
carry on trade the way it was going. So, yeah, there was a little bit of uh, in Irish politics at the time. We had uh, Mr. Charles J. Hawley and Greg Blaney, and one was the Minister for Agriculture, another was the was the was the Taoiseach of Ireland. So they were very much, uh, uh, I will say, anti-English, if you want to call it that, although they were fighting the cause of the Irish man. So they had no problems in, in putting forward the the, the 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 money for the lads to set up a, a herd book of their own. Now, my father, who was in the Aberdeen Angus Association all his life, uh, with the Scottish people, he, he did not change. He stayed and Mrs. Bird uh, was the secretary who done Trojan work down the years uh, to keep the breed uh, association alive in Ireland when, when there was very, very few cattle being registered at the time because I suppose cattle had a blip. The Aberdeen Angus cattle had a blip in this country because the limousines became so popular, the showery became so popular and backed up with the Simmental at that time. So, yeah, there was a bit of a nargy uh, bargy going on with regards to striking for, for pole position in, in the breeds. And I'll never forget, because I was involved in the Charlie job as well at the time when Carrick and Shannon was going on. And uh, uh, Aberdeen Angus was on on a Tuesday, if I can recall right, and the Charlies was on on a Wednesday. And the day before, the champion Angus, Joe McCormick from the Steel Herd, was a great guy too. He had the, the champion bull, and I think the reserve uh, made eight sixty, and the champion made nine hundred. And Joe had the champion. I said. And the following day, we set and Joe at the gate again, and the shadow is making three thousand, five thousand. And Joe turned to me. He says, "Ah, fuck it." He says, "Fuck the shadow." He says, uh, "There's nothing ever been on the hangers about my son that ever be anything yet." <laughs> So it's a good story. It's a nice one because the way the whole thing has turned again, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and the Angus now are absolutely going from strength to strength in Ireland here. Certainly, are. we'll go on to that in a minute because yeah, I definitely know that's the case. But just go back to those the two bulls that they brought in because this is history that maybe not a lot of people won't know. And I've studied a lot of the Angus history over the years. And but they brought in two bulls, Highland Colossal and Black Eagle Challenger, and they were both two, a couple of decent Canadian bulls. They probably again be before your time. But do you remember the calves coming off those because they were good calves, even though they couldn't register them over here. There was some good calves came off those tubos. The Black Eagle Challenger and Highland Colossal. The Black Eagle Challenger, unfortunately, didn't last long. My father said he bred some better cattle than Highland Colossal, but Highland Colossal done a uh, great job as well. And at, at this minute, I have a, a grandson of Black Eagle Challenger in the shed. Uh, he's a senior head sire. And uh, one thing for sure is the, cat, the heads that he's leaving are as good as heads that you'd see anywhere uh, we have seen at any time in, in the in the breed. Okay. So Black Eagle Challenger just seemed to come with that brilliant traditional Angus head. It just wasn't, wasn't quite maybe the power Highland Colossal left that little bit more more size about me. And, and let's just before I upset anybody here, just remind our, our listeners, if you like, that there are still two Angus societies, as it were, in, in Ireland. There's the Irish... Aberdeen Angus Society, which uh, Shane Murphy, the breed secretary of, and there's the other boys as well. What do they do? What do they call themselves? Irish Angus Society, yes. And then you've got the Irish Aberdeen Angus yeah. Association. Okay. And, and, and Shane, Shane yeah. Murphy is, now, is the well, Irish Aberdeen Angus Association. When Brexit hit us, we had to uh, uh, break off uh, our long-standing tradition with Scotland, and we had to set up our own society here. And we did that, and uh, we're now registering cattle for breeders in Europe, and uh, we're registering cattle for people in Ireland. So, because England's in a, juris, a different jurisdiction, we can't register any, you know, they, they couldn't register our cattle and we can't register our cattle, we say, in the north of Ireland. Okay, okay. okay. I think that clears that up. And I, I... But there are two societies. 
There are two, yeah. There are two societies and, and uh, here in this country. There's an association and the society and uh, that we exist side by side. Uh, and as an association over the years, we've always welcomed in the, into every competition we've ever run and, and made them feel welcome. We often didn't get the same precipitation, but we kind of felt it didn't make any difference because we were always able to you know, do our business and, and our association probably has grown on the strength of the fact that we were so open and all inclusive. Okay. 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 That makes make sense. I had uh, Eustace Burke on here a while ago and he sort of gave me a little bit of that. We'll go on to that, to the, you mentioned the, the registering the cattle because the breed database, we'll talk about that in a second, but let's just go on to yourself, uh, Leo there, the, yeah, the, you would have got going with, uh, with some decent cattle and then ended up um, getting a big trade for a bull fairly early on, 16,000 was it for a bull? fairly early in your, in your 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 herd that's right uh, of course I have to go back it's going back that famous duchess cow uh we, we can't get away from her she was she was uh done a hell of a job um so yeah i sourced a bit of straw from from go back to our conversation we were having earlier and the cost of the genetics and for me it was an ideal combination where you had the traditional type of angus and then you went for a little bit more extreme canadian so that's where this came in um so i, I used a cow uh, the, the Duchess cow and then I came across with a bull called TLA Northern Samurai for me who was one of the better breed bulls that ever ever came in from Canada in fact you might say if I was being horrible I'd say maybe it was the out, an out bull that ever came in from Canada okay. and I spoke, I spoke to Marion and John Tilson one time we were having lunch in their house and I asked them what was the most influential bull ever they, they thought came in Canada even though I saw Samurai in the back of my mind and so John after a while I think it was Samurai he said I go, so anyway make a long story short I had a cow by that, by that cross and then I came along with a bull called Delrine Cruz uh, who was a new bull on the scene and we had our time going into we had bulls going into Tully at performance station here in Ireland and we used to send in bulls uh, here and they would do a trial there a bit like what John Elliott is doing now with, with regards to conversion weights and whatnot. Okay. so yes that, that bull lift off Danny he topped the sale, topped the the, the uh, trial that day with 2.2 kilos on his on his weight gain and um, he was sold to a man uh, from England, came Munster AI, were the underbidders. But for me at the time, it was a hell of a lift because uh, we were just under pressure. I suppose myself and the wife, Anne, were just uh, getting going here. We were built a house and things was going on. As normal, it was on the, with, with married life. So, yeah, we got £16,000 for him at the time. And we received £4,000 prize money. So that was 20000 for the one ball. It was, it was quite a lift at the time. Nice day out. Nice, nice start on the job. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and Leo, what other thing you'd probably be famous for, maybe go a little bit more into your business in a second, but uh, would be the Red Angus. And you'd be one of the first to run Red Angus in Ireland, I think. And uh, I probably can ask you why and where did those genetics come from to bring the red ones? Yeah, um, well, how it started was... Um, it was actually during the, 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 the foot and mouth years and um, we had an inquiry from Portugal, from the Azores in fact, and they were looking for to buy some Angus. And uh, four gentlemen came here from, from Portugal and the, the UK buys in Scotland and, and England couldn't facilitate them at the time because they weren't able to sell their cattle to them. Yeah. So the, the association here in Ireland got the inquiry. So uh, with that, the four boys landed in, in, in Ireland one evening and we toured Ireland. Uh, we went from every county in Ireland, from Cork up to Donegal and, and Mayo and, yeah, back, back to the East Coast and all that. So in that travel, there was a man that had an inquiry looking for some red heifers. So we went to a man called Billy Somerville in Ballina County Mayo. And uh, 
he had a, a nice few cows. He, he was into Mount Balliard at the time as well. He was milking herd at Mount Balliard. And uh, he had roughly about 10 or 12 Red Angus cows. So we bought some weaning heifers off him. And I said, you know, this is something that could, could, could go on uh, in the future. If there's going to be a market here for Europe. So with that in mind, I, I kind of kept an eye out. He could have find some more genetics. And yeah, I came across um, a Pat Melbourne man at the time was, was getting out of his Red Angus, and I bought them of Pat, and that was the start of my herd. Okay, okay. And, and the Red Angus has a little bit of a, a chip on its shoulder that they can't get the, the, the Black Angus premium, or certainly in, uh, in, in America. Is that the same with you? Can you still get an Angus uh, beef premium on a Red Angus, or, or are, they, are they exempt from that? Oh, no, no, you can. You can get the same, uh, same premium, because re- realistically, under the skin, it's the same genetics, it's the same things, because uh, it's not making any difference at all in that regard. Okay. So... It's, 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 they're, look, they're a fabulous cross. We have sucker farmers here in this country who like to keep the, the colour in their animals. So, uh, obviously, red or yellow. So, you know, I have actually some men coming back to me looking for red bulls out, putting them on pedigree charity heifers, okay. you know, for, for the first time to get them easy calving and they can calve them that bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Because uh, ICBF, the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation, they're pushing out to, to try and calve younger, calve the cows younger. So the charity breeders are delighted to be able to calve the cows heifers down at two and a half more so than the normal three okay. so the red angus bull first cross is, is a very good cross for them to get a nice colored calf a yellow calf and when they bring it to the market uh, it's it, it, it making good demand in the market okay okay and uh, leo do you, do you concur with that do you have some red ones in yourself or are you strictly stay with the blacks the only genetics uh, my farm is in red is in the house i keep i keep all the cattle in the farm like the children are red <laughs> Uh, Fair enough, I get that one. I get that one. And Leo, you concentrated on the export market. I guess that would be getting started there and you sort of turned your business much more towards the export market. And when I visited you, I think you were putting together a load of something like 250 females to go to Russia. I mean, you got to build your clientele worldwide, haven't you? Yes, yes, we did. We we, we had an inquiry from Russia, uh, right, and we, we fulfilled our contract. Uh, and, and in fact, it was 260 that required... But in the in the latter we got away two thirty eight between the veterinary end of it and whatever goes on with that job. Yeah, it was a big undertaking. It was a nice achievement. Um, a lot of work involved. Uh, the breed society, uh, the Aberdeen Angus and the Irish Angus came on board and helped us out to, to source the animals. And uh, yeah, it was quite successful. Um, pity there's not more feedback from Russia. Uh, I don't think there's going to be much feedback for a while. Uh, the present climate, but no, we've we've, we've exported cattle to Italy. We had another man uh, down in the south of Italy in Barry. He bought uh, some cattle off us. Uh, he's selling Italian Angus burgers now, and we sold them to Spain. We sold them to Portugal, France, Italy, uh, Bulgaria. So yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of going quite well for us. Uh, the export, but of course, the demand for Angus all over the world is just quadrupled. But I think I put that down a lot to. I suppose if you want to say that the, the meat that originally came in and went to the tourist resorts in Argentina, from Argentina, the beef that came from Argentina, and went into the tourist resort because people got a taste and a flavour for Angus beef then. Okay. And I suppose then they said, well, well, where can we get our hands on this? So to kind of look around then, the, the, the business people in the, in, with a business mind and sourced Angus then, you know, and that's that's where, where it came from originally. Of course, and you said the Russian market might have dried up a little bit, but Brexit will have played right into your hands there. You'd be rubbing your hands that day, I guess. Well, to be quite honest with you, no. Uh, you'd imagine it would have, but no, not really. Um, I think 
the export market now presently is, is quite well done at this stage. There's a lot of cattle gone out for export. There's not that many new people looking for animals because if they can, they can source them fairly close beside them now at this stage. Let it be, let it be Bulgaria, let it be Spain, Portugal. There's a, there's a good lot of cattle in France too. So, look, there is a margin there. There is people looking for better, i.e. better quality stock. But the, the foundations are there. There is a demand for bulls. There is a demand for top quality cattle now. Victim of your own success, maybe, by sending that many animals into these areas. And I'm sure if they come to you, you'll probably tell them, well, go down the road rather than come here because they can save themselves a bit of money. A lot of paperwork, too. Um, and, and I remember, yeah, well, I mean, the whole export business must be built around health status. So, I mean, that was the hard thing. It must be hard to maintain that and, and, and still get out to the bull sales and the shows and what have you. And, and uh, yeah, how do you keep on top of that? Uh, look, it's not, it's not simple, but the export business, it's all about trust, really. Um, if you don't send people the right cattle, you don't do business again. And I think that's what's done to us in good stead. And, you know, so I suppose some Irish breeders in the past have been offended with me because sometimes I refuse to take their animals. Right. And this is because they weren't of a standard. But I know that when the European Forum was on in Portugal... Uh, one breeder came to me, he says, my worker speaks English, and he heard the Scotch boy saying, he says, you know, we would be going back to Portugal to get genetics with the, with the cattle these boys are breeding because they, they were very good. But, you know, like that too, um, there was trust, but you had to send them the quality. If you didn't, you, you only sent it once. Yeah. Fair enough, and I mentioned just now, now that we had Eustace Burke on, on this uh, um, program just recently, and he was... Obviously telling us how the Angus was booming away there in Ireland now, but he was also talking about the ICBF, the, the National Database for Europe. And John, remind me what just what that does. Have you been involved in that? Yeah, well, the, the ICBF, the Irish Cattle Breeding Federation, was set up by our government to, to give us uh, figures on cattle and performance recording data. And they, they, they took over the running of the Tully Test Centre that uh, Leo alluded to earlier. And... Uh, they have since moved out into genomic testing and looking after all that. And in 2024, all dairy calves will be genomically tested, which will mean that people will be able to buy Angus calves that are of Angus bulls that are guaranteed pedigree bulls down the road, and they'll know that what they're getting is what they're looking for. Like ICBF would um, they come second to the department in this country. The Department of Agriculture are still the, the main players, but ICBF would... would they will command a lot of respect and uh, they have, have figures on all cost by cattle and pedigree cattle. And they, do, and they get a lot of feedback from the meat factories and, and use that data in their evaluations. Yeah. And uh, allow it to go to hard, like Leo and mine, where we would be do, all doing whole herd performance recording where the guy comes in and he, he weighs every animal on the farm and he looks at every animal on the farm and uh, it's all built into a set of data it's a bit different than breed plan. In you could have the best bull in the world in breed plan, and he might be able to stand on four legs, or he might be completely wild. Uh, with 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 ICBF, all these cattle are looked at, and affinity is measured. I, I remember one lad laughing me one day in Scotland. He said, "How do you measure an affinity?" And I said, "Well, it's quite simple." I said, "You only yard and there's thirteen calves in the yard, and one jumps the wall. He's clearly not quiet." That's fair enough. So the docility get uh, measured as well. That's good to know. And uh, I think he said you, you were now, or they were now, picking up um, recording breed data in in quite a few countries across Europe as well as just Ireland. 
Yeah, well, anyone that's registered with us in Europe is entitled to get hold of what we're given. So they, we, we're going to we're able to give them recording data figures as well. Okay. okay. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a brilliant thing and a huge step forward compared to, to where we are in Britain. But then say, Brexit's maybe coming to the middle of that as well just now because I know there's a lot of people recording genomic data now, but it's not, as you said, getting fed back into the into the replanners yet anyway and, and and leo going back onto yourself you have online sales now and this is probably a fallout from covid i guess that boosts these things but uh, you have a couple of, of, of sales a year there quite a few cattle in there all your own or do you bring a few others in as well yes we decided some years ago to, to run our own uh farm sales um so it's what it's working quite successful we have one now coming up actually next saturday the the 29th um of this month and we have another one then in the back end of the year as well look it's, it's, it's nice for people to be able to come uh and see the animals we have to see the animals in the farm we had an open day on the farm last year and i think we might have another one this year it's an opportunity for people to come and see our our setup what we're about that there's no massive feed thrown into these cattle that the, that the majority of it is done on a grass-based system it's very commercially run and I'll just go back a little bit there with what John was talking about, and it's something that I'm very, very passionate about, uh, is the WHPR scheme, which is, is the ICBF is running for, for Angus breeders. Uh, unfortunately, there's not enough of people in Ireland, breeders in Ireland, in that WHPR, because if I could find the right poll, and by monitoring through that WHPR scheme, it's a good way of finding it anyway, because we have to be honest here. Sometimes the birth on the animal might not be 100% correct. So if it's not 100% correct, well, it's not a great start. So it's hard to work out weight gains on, on all the rest. But if you have the right animal doing the, that you require for your herd, and it is doing the birth weight, doing the right birth weight, doing the right 100-day weight, 200-day weight, and is, is, is not uh, overly fed in its lifetime, well, that animal is worth a lot of money in a herd of someone that has 100 cows. In fact, if it was not 0.3 kilos a day, that can equate to 48,000. You work out that animal situation at three euros a kilo, selling animals at three euros a kilo, right. and the commercial basis, not even talk about pedigree. So it's something that I, I, I would be very passionate about because I believe that, to be honest, if I, if I, if I could put my foot in it, I would actually love... Here in Ireland, we get farmers can uh, have, have to have a bull in, in a sucker scheme where they have to have five stars and uh, four stars to qualify. But for me, I would like to also uh, put in the uh, stipulation that they have to come out of a WHPR or herd as well, which means that the herd is monitored by an in a private individual and things are kept right. Because uh, it's an even kill for everybody. And uh, yeah, you know, we are, you know we are going there. Just remind us what WHPR stands for, Leo. Whole herd performance recording. Whole herd performance recording, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay, that's got to the bottom of that one. And let's just go back to your sales. As I said, you do on-farm sales, but you sure. do online sales as well, I think, through Mart Eye, and that's something that's obviously a side of the business that's growing, but it's, that depends, going back to what you said earlier on, exporting the cattle, it depends on trust of a lot of people that either they've seen the cattle or they've had cattle before and can afford to buy them blind, or not blind, but afford to buy them on, on, online, on a video. That's, that's right. But, you know, the, 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 the animals are sold in the ring on, on the day, and live uh you can bid online if you so wish okay. last year uh i had a sale uh, a man bought a heifer of five thousand five hundred euros he came the year before and bought a heifer and he says look at she done very well why wouldn't i have confidence in her i says yeah, would you like to go up and see her no 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 he says it's fine so yeah people are are, are uh well, you know when they, when they come to the farm once 
they understand, they have a look around, and you show them everything, and you don't, there's nothing to hide. So that gives people confidence in what you're at. It does come down to trust, doesn't it, for, for both of you? And you said about an, an open day that you had there on the farm there, and, and you also do a lot for the youngsters, don't you? I think the YDP have been down to, to your, your place as well. You, you encourage a lot of the youngsters back into the breed. Well, I have. I've done, I've done it down the years for, for the association. I've done different uh, clinics on different days down the south and, and Munster and in the north and places like that. But of, le- of the later years, I haven't done it because I haven't time. But fairness to John, he's taken over the mantle on that one. And uh, he, he has it on the farm every year, uh, which, which is, has been congratulated and well done on that because it takes a lot of work and a lot of organisation uh, to get that uh, underdone with, with all the young folks. But uh, yeah. I mean, Niall Lynch has taken over that month here. Uh, he used to be in Fordell and uh, doing a, a right good job and pushing it on. Yeah, yeah that, that'd be right, John. I'd, I'd, my congratulations to you as well. But of course, you've got Sean with you, I suppose, going with that. But you bring a lot of youngsters in and bring them on and you think it's making a difference? Well, it, it, it's absolutely great to work with young people who are enthusiastic. And, and you meet an awful lot of young people who are very enthusiastic. And I mean... You get some people starting off and they know absolutely nothing about handling animals. They'll run into an animal, run right up at an animal or run up at an animal and the animal doesn't see it and all of a sudden the animal gets a scare. And like working from the very basics of, of uh, teaching animal people how to approach livestock and look at livestock just to know what their temperament is or whether they're bad, the animal is in a grouchy humour that day or whatever. Teaching them all the basics and starting them off and taking them to a stage where they can actually halt or show a tip, do animal service. I mean, it's very hard. And, uh, well, an awful lot of them young people you, I, I meet again and again and again. I, 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 I was a farm student at the present, and the guy who came in to check on that farm student to see that he was happy and he was actually a farmer student. And, and uh, he says, I learned how to tie cattle in this yard, he said. And I, I didn't know the guy, but he, you know. He, whatever, 10 years later, he was back doing this. So you meet the people again and again. So it's great to work with young. I love working with young people anyway because, you know, you, you, you keep meeting up with them. Yeah, well, that's that's brilliant. And I think you've got, I know you got out to the shows. I think you just about cleaned up at Tullymore last uh, last year there. And I, I saw your pictures online. You've got a whole host of youngsters showing the cattle with you as well. That's right. Well, again, I mean, it's very raw, rewarding to go to a show that you're not slugging your guts out. Because you have all these other young kids and they're pushing in to get going ahead. Like, so, I mean, it is very rewarding to put in the time with them because they can give it back here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Leo, you'll still, you'll still get out there and show as well. You boys must be, must be rivals. They must be getting a bit of nail-biting rivalry going on between you at the shows. <laughs> ah, no, no. I, I, I'm not in that league at all. I've I kind of set back from that job. But ah, look, we, we like to think we're maybe one or two, just or not, just to, just to keep our name there and let us know we haven't gone away. <laughs> that's right. And that's what it's about, isn't it? The showing it's about a shop window as well as winning the prize. Well, as, as John's using no, it no. to train some youngsters as well, that's that's brilliant. And uh, d- just go on to some of the bulls that you've used. I know you bought a bull recently. Maybe we'll chat about it in a second. But what would be the standout bulls, the genetics that everybody's looking for in, in your part of the world just now? What, what, what's been in fashion? What's the back breeding? The one, the one bull well, that just looks to be Hitting out now is, is um, Australian bull, Dominia Berkeley. He has an awful lot of sons at AI stations. When he came in, first people, you know, throw out stories, bring white, and he was wild and a lot of things. But that seems to all be forgotten now. There's quite a good few bulls off in AI stations, and he is doing the business. He's leaving them smaller cows born that continue to go on. So he's probably the one that's standing out for me at the minute. Leo, have you had that? Uh, look at it. No, I think that's it. All the time, there's different bulls coming in, but you, you can't forget the lady in the, on the job. And, and if, if the cows, the, the, the cow that's doing the job all the time, no matter what way you look at, 
there's some lines of cows there and you can cross a donkey on them and they'll still produce a good animal, you know. So the key to breeding is, is the dam line. And no matter what you're breeding, you have to breed the, for, the, for the dam line, you know. It's like, like, like the queen, queen in, 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 the, in the hive, you know. <laughs> the queen in the hive, yeah, you're right. That is, that's wise words, wise words. And uh, and just go on, I bumped into you guys in, in Sterling just earlier on this year and you were buying a decent stop ball there. With- Bottom off um, Richard Reddy. Back home and looking good. He's looking 100%. In fact, I, I only had him in today because uh, when we take a ball in from uh, Coston anymore now, the department has to come out and the bet is just not long gone. In fact, when you called me initially, the first time he was in the yard, so he, he takes out his tags, old tags and changes or new tags to give him an Irish passport. Okay. So we were at that job just when you, when you, you called. So I had the bull and of course, always a concern when buying a bull in Scotland, especially in Sterling presently, is, is because the feeding regime he's on to have him in tip-top shape for that job to try and win the the, 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 the honours there they're very very fit so um, my concern was the last two or three weeks when I got him home that, that would he bloat or would he stomach be upset or, but thankfully no he's looking good I just had him across the bridge there he's 860 kilos so he was 760 when I bought him so he's gone on nicely and uh, yeah I, I, I have to say I'm happy on at this stage good, good. And, and Richard Retty coming from a good home there but as you said uh, well well brought out and, and well put together what um, yeah, is it is it relatively easy to get cattle for you, for you guys in, in Ireland to get cattle out of Scotland is there quite a few coming across the water there's a few coming on and off um, it's not simple but if you wanted something it's not impossible to get it um, you would have just a few stipulations if you buy in an animal uh, you won't be allowed to export out of that herd for 30 days. So you know, so at this time of the year where we are in the business of selling bulls, it's just something you have to keep an eye on because if you buy in, uh, buy, bring in your bull, you're out locked for 30 days and you can't sell to Northern Ireland, which would be a, a, a home trade. Like, for example, uh, 15%, 20% of the bulls I'll have in the auction will go to the north next week because because of the type of bull they are. They're, they're buy in the north, like a bit of roundness, a bit of shape a bit of type and uh, yeah we, we, that's, that's the bull we have for example Victor Chestnut he bought a bull off me uh, eight years ago in fact going back to that famous bull that was in Tully will be the same family line and yeah he, he's, he's reaped the rewards quite well he's, he's got on every year he has a sale of Angus bulls in, in Ballymena and gets on quite well so yeah the, 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 job, the job is going well um, for, for the for the aspect. people want, want, want a type and uh, it's a little bit tough times here because, well, John and myself earlier on, we, we, we support ICBF. They literally have a little bit too much control with regard how you breed your bull. And that's kind of becoming a bit of a worry because they're, obviously you've got a, a, a bull with good figures. People are tending to go and chase these genetics. And that's having a little bit of a problem with regard to the, the, the type, Angus type and, and all the rest, you know. You've got to have some balls to, to, to break that mould and go out in a different direction and hope it works out. I totally hear, hear what you're saying. And uh... Yeah, well, the big, worry, the big worry there might be down the road that if we were to continue down the road of following just stars like people are seem to be obsessed with at the present, you would end up uh, narrowing our gene pool because the, the, the females that are lesser at the minute will be culled off. They may, not be, they may not be bad cows, but they just might have bad figures. And, and that's something people always have to be aware of. The figures are a guide. They're there to assist us. They're not there to dominate or, and should not be there to dictate as to what we use. We should, as farmers, be allowed to use whatever genetics we want because it's our head and our, that the book stops at us. I think that's a very wise, think, very wise word. I, I think we can quote Dean William McLaren, the boss, the old man, mm. and, and saying, 
you, you know, you, you yeah. judge the animal first, you look at his pedigree second, and you look at his figures third. I think that's absolutely wise words from both of you. And I've had quite a bit of your time here. I know you guys are busy this time of year. And uh, Leo, you've sent me a link to your sale. We'll probably put it on our, on our website and any photographs you guys have got that we'd, other people would like to see about your bulls. But it's been an absolute pleasure talking to Thank the you. pair of you. And I'm sure you'll be out of the shows again this summer with that rivalry, rivalry that you said isn't there, uh, Leo. And uh, <laughs> we'll look forward to seeing. If you're up in Balmoral at all, either of you, we'll have a drink with you because I'm coming over. Just, just, just one before you go on like, like that, there's no points for second place. Remember that, Andy? <laughs> ah. <laughs> I do. Thanks very much, Andy. Thank you. I was a younger man then. No, no. Andrew, thank you very much. Great to speak to you, fellas. All the best. Good luck, Thanks, Andy. Bye-bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. And at this time of year, with cattle turnout on the horizon, now might be the time to get those magnesium buckets in stock. And don't forget that Harbro's triple mag buckets are fantastic quality with multiple sources of magnesium to ensure your cows are covered against the risk of grass staggers. Look out Harbro on the internet or on social media or contact your local representative and uh, if you are on social media why not look out our Top Lines and Tales Facebook page where you'll find some photographs and other information to back up this and other episodes of Top Lines and Tales.